You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We are in a series called Miracles. I think you folks know that. Turn your Bibles with me for a while to John chapter 6. We're reading from the ESV. This is from verses 15 down to verse 21. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened, but he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I'd like for us to turn our Bibles for a while quickly to the book of Mark. Okay, um, go to Mark for a while, and please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. I'd like first to read the same account that's found in the gospel account of Mark. We're talking about the same story. This time, this is in the gospel account of Mark, beginning with chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Here's the thing. The story that we have here is actually picking up from what we've covered last Sunday. Meaning to say, in order for us to fully embrace this account in John chapter 6 and Mark chapter 6, we needed to have a background of what happened, the passage that we've covered last Sunday. If you would allow me to give a brief recap. We've covered John chapter 6, and it was a miracle wherein we've witnessed the Lord Jesus Christ fed 5,000 men with just Five loaves and two fish. To be more specific, Jesus created the miracle out of five barley loaves. And then what was actually mentioned there was, we did say that what was recorded were 5,000 men. But all in all, if you count the children and the women, we might be talking about 12,000 or 15,000. Right? So that's big enough to feel a CS complex. We're talking about a huge number of people here. And then, we did say that you know, for Jewish people, they are so well-versed with their history that every time they hear someone teach, every time they see someone doing something, they always have this practice of connecting the present with the past. Alright? And that is why when Jesus started creating this miracle of feeding thousands of people, they can't help themselves but connect and realize that this is actually what? The story of Moses. They were looking at what Jesus was doing, and at the back of their mind, they were saying, okay, this is what Moses did in the wilderness. This is what Moses did in the desert. But not just that, they also realized that Jesus was connecting them, 
not just to Moses, but to another prophet by the name of Elisha. And our conclusion from that is, Jesus comes in to prove to all of them that He is not just a prophet, but He is the prophet. Meaning to say, He is the greater provider, and He is also the greater miracle worker, because He is the greater Moses and the greater Elisha. That's where we're coming from. And if you remember, in verse 15, here's what happened. When they saw what he was doing, it says here, they were about to take him by force. You know, scholars would say the reason for this is the fact that his audience during these times were the zealots, meaning to say these were the Jewish sect who were revolutionaries. Meaning to say they wanted to fight back against Rome. When they felt like this guy is a miracle worker, let's make him king so that he will lead our revolution. Alright, when they had that in their mind, here's what Jesus did. Bible says in verse 15, he started to what? Withdraw again to the mountainside. Alright, are folks following? He starts withdrawing again from the mountainside. Now, how important is that story? That story is so important that it is found in all four gospel accounts. Now, coming from that, we have another story wherein Jesus is seen walking on water. This story is another important one simply because this is found in three of the four gospel accounts. Now, I want us to understand that we are on this series for six weeks now. And we did say that you can actually say miracles is the same with signs. When you open your ESV, you would realize it doesn't actually mention miracles there. It says signs. So all of these signs are purposive. Meaning to say, when Jesus creates a miracle, it is meant to point at something. It is always a sign. It's not like, you know, Jesus doing some miraculous stuff just to show off. Jesus isn't like that. I remember when our eldest brother enrolled himself in Milo Best, on a summer clinic in Milo Best, and after the, those two months of intensive training, he starts, you know, showing off his dribbling skills. My brother was a good basketball player, all right? He just didn't have the height, all right? So, but he was a good player anyway. So, but he was showing off his skills. Now, is Jesus just merely showing off when he does miracles? No. There is always a purpose to this. And one of the main purposes of the miracles of Jesus Christ, and if you're someone who writes things down in your notebook, and I suggest that you have to be someone who's like that, because you are students of the Word, amen? We're students of the Word, so write it on your phone so that you can verify everything that I'm sharing or preaching his purpose when he does miracles, whether it's changing water to wine, whether it's healing a lame man, his purpose always is to reveal something about himself and about the people or rather his audience. It is meant to reveal something about himself and ourselves. The reason why I wanted us to look into the book of Mark because in John chapter 6, what John gives us as an author is merely a snapshot of what has happened. John gives us a snapshot, but you know Mark provides the details. All right, so that's why here's what we're going to do. That's why you need to have your Bibles open in Mark and John. Okay, put your index finger in Mark, the other one in John, because we will be going to Mark and then we're going to John. So just open your Bibles to Mark and John. So here's what we have. What is the first purpose why Jesus walked on water? The first purpose why Jesus walked on water is to show His divinity. Alright? Turn your Bibles for a while to Mark chapter 6. Go to Mark chapter 6. 
like what I said, we begin with verse 45, isn't it, right? So now, look at this. I'd like for you to look at verse 48. What does it say? It says here, He saw that they were making headway painfully, all right, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea, all right? So take note of the word walking on. It doesn't say under or whatever. It says walking on the sea. All right, so this is the miracle that we find here, Jesus walking the sea. And it says here, he meant to what? He meant to pass them by. Now, what do we have here? Now, if you look at this base black, you'd realize there's something odd with this verse. Let me submit to you a proposition, and I'm going to defend it later. Okay, here's the proposition that I have. It was a stormy evening, isn't it? Right? I'm talking about at least, if I'm not mistaken, to my knowledge, there's at least four of them who were fishermen were the disciples. Now, it says here, they were making headway painfully, right? So, I'd like for you to use your imagination for a while. What does it entail for a veteran fishermen to make their way or head their way painfully? It gives you a picture of the magnitude of the storm. Tama po ba? Am I right to say that? Dili ni dagum lang, ulan lang. We're talking about a storm, right? In fact, the interesting thing here is it tells them that Jesus comes to them on the fourth watch of the night. That's around between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. Now, when did Jesus dismiss them or told them to go out into the boat? Early in the evening. So guess what? These disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ have been laboring themselves to get to the other side for what? For a good six hours or seven hours already. Even if you're part of a dragon boat team, you don't want to make sagwan for six hours. And it's not getting you anywhere. Are you folks with me? Now, it tells us, it doesn't really tell us so much about their physical skills, but it tells us something about the intensity of the storm, isn't it? Alright? Now, I want us to understand that the external storm, the storm that is seen externally, is simply a picture of the internal storm that was happening in their life. Alright? So, Archie, baka you're trying to stretch it too much? No, I don't think so. The external storm is a picture of the internal storm that the disciples were having in their life at that junction. Interestingly, if you go to the book of Psalms, Every time a psalmist, whether David or whoever, would start writing about darkness or storm, it's actually talking about or the struggles and challenges that they're facing in their life. Alright? If that will not suffice, let me look into this for a while. Look, why do we say that there's a storm that was happening in their life? Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 52. Can you go to verse 51 first? In verse 51, it says here, He got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. And then verse 52 gives us a picture. So, I gave a proposition, and this is my explanation. Because verse 52 says, For they, who's the day here? The disciples, for the disciples did not understand about the loaves. Oops. Huh. Jesus feeds 5,000. Everyone celebrates. Everyone is happy. The disciples were happy as well. Jesus sends them. And then the conclusion was, it says here, Mark said, they did not understand about the loaves. Because it says here, their hearts were, whose hearts were hardened? 
who were closest to Jesus. Interesting. That's why he was saying, the intensity of the external storm is actually the intensity of the storm that was happening in their life. Now, what is it that verse 52 says, they did not understand about the loaves? What is it that they did not understand? Here's what they didn't understand. What they didn't understand was, Jesus created or caused a miracle to happen, fed 12,000, 5,000 people with five barley loaves, and yet even the disciples, together with the thousands of people, even the disciples did not understand that He too is actually the bread coming from heaven whose body will be broken to what? To save their souls. So in short, for them, for the disciples, it's actually their mindset is the same with the rest of the crowd. They're like thinking, oh, here comes a miracle worker. Here's someone who can feed us. That's all they understand about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why verse 52 says, yes, you're talking about Peter, you're talking about Matthew, we're talking about people who are closest to Jesus, and yet their hearts were hardened. And yet their hearts were hardened. So the purpose of Jesus to send them, I want you to understand this, who decided to go to the boat? Who sent them to the boat? Jesus did. It wasn't like Simon Peter's idea. Jesus, there's too many people here now. Oh, you pray there while we go there. No, it wasn't Peter's decision. It was actually Jesus who told them, go to the other side. Because Jesus was about to do something. What's wrong with the disciples at this junction? They look at their friend, Jesus, and they realize, oh, this man has power, but they don't realize he is power. They realize, oh, wait, 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 look at this. He created another miracle. This man is associated with God, but they don't realize that he's God himself. They look at this person as someone who's from God, not realizing that this is God himself. So my point in saying that is this. The external danger that they were experiencing is just a picture of the what internal danger that was happening in their life. You know what the internal danger is? It is being around Jesus yet not knowing who Jesus is. So I realize that this message, perhaps this specific junction, is actually not for unbelievers. This is for us. Because truth of the matter is, all of us, can I assume that all of us, including myself? Because all of us are quote-unquote insiders. All of us are associated with Jesus. And the most dangerous thing that could ever happen in our life is that we declare about who Jesus is, but we ourselves have not had an experiential relationship with Christ Jesus our Lord. The dangerous thing that could ever happen to us is that we come here every single Sunday, serve in the ministry, serve in the text, serve in the music team, serve as an usher, the earliest compared to the rest, that we're so active in the church and yet we are what? So far from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we have here. We are around Jesus, but we don't really know Jesus. We know the good things that Jesus has done. We know the good teachings of Jesus, but we don't know and realize that Jesus is the better choice. The best one that is offered to us. And I realized that in the years that I've been pastoring, I realized that it's quite easier for me, well, at least in Philippine context, it's quite easier for me to counsel unbelievers more than believers. 
Pagkausap ko po hindi Kristiyano, parang mas madaling mag-counsel. Pagka-Kristiyano na, minsan, maraming alam, pero hindi isinasabuhay. Memorize ang Book of Romans, nabasa tong komentary na to, listening to his picture, merong sariling eschatological worldview and stuff like that, merong thoughts about soteriology, alam ko lahat ng mga big words. Pero ang puso, malayo sa Panginoon. Na realize that it's actually a danger that we are all in. That we have been a Christian, or at least we call ourselves Christians, but we don't live like one. You know, sometimes we use our tenure in the ministry, our association with pastor so-and-so as a badge. I've been with Victory since they were in Tavern. I am a bike buddy of Pastor Donnie. Some of the guys cannot say the same thing with me. Now, I don't know, but I want to submit this to everyone, that it's true, we can have all the knowledge about who God is, but we don't really know who God is. And I want you to understand this is for you. As much as this is for myself. I hope and pray that we don't get to a point wherein you don't have any experiential encounter with the gospel anymore. Now that you've been a Christian for the longest time. You know, I'm making an assumption, and I think this is a good assumption though. I think, you know, this is true to all of us. Amen? The disciples, they were around Jesus, and yet they don't really know who Jesus is. Now, I realize, mas mahirap yun. Mas, quote-unquote, walang hope yung ganun. You know, before my dad became a Christian, I mean, I realized it was easier to preach to him, it was easier to talk to him about God because of all his problems, compared to my Christian friends in the church. So, what hope do we have? I want you to understand is the hope that we have is the same thing, the hope that disciples have. And you know what that is? Jesus walking on water. Why is that so? Because I told you a while ago that His purpose in revealing Himself or walking on water is to reveal His divinity. Look at verse 48 for a while, Mark chapter 6. It says here, they were making headway painfully. So, does that tell us that they were physically drained? Were they physically tired? But not just that, we also understand that they were spiritually drained. You know why? Because they can't seem to make up their mind. They can't seem to put Jesus in a certain category. They're like, ah, he's a good teacher. But dili nila malitok or maingon or confess that this is really God himself. They understand him to be a miracle worker. They understand him to be a provider. They were spiritually drained as well. Now look at this. This is interesting. Look at Mark chapter 6. Look at verse 14. It says here, And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Isn't it? Now look at this. This is the interesting part. It says here, Jesus meant to pass by them. What is that? I mean, if you're going to save him, you're going to go straight to the boat. It says here, Jesus meant to pass by. What is that? Was he whistling? Was he doing some prank? They were being battered in their boat and Jesus was like, oops, oops. Because Jesus meant, it says here, Jesus meant to pass by them. What do we have here? I start looking at this and I realize, wait, you have to understand 
that this was not the first story that they were in a boat. If I remember it right, there was also a time where they were in a boat, and guess what? There was also a wind and a wave. Now, where was Jesus during that time? Was Jesus in the mountainside? Jesus was right there in the boat. And Jesus wakes up. What does Jesus do? They were screaming, Ah, don't you even care, Lord? Don't you ever care, Jesus? Jesus wakes up, and Jesus simply what? He rebukes the what? The wind and the wave. He rebukes the wind and the wave. They became so calm. And what were they saying? Ah, ah, who is this person that the wind and the wave obey him? And now, he walks past by them to give them an answer to that question. That he is the Son of God. Who else will the wind and the wave obey other than that which created them? So in the second instance right here, Jesus simply gives them or shows them, Hey, I'm not just a feeder. I'm not, I'm not just a miracle worker. I am God himself. I look at this and realize that when Mark started writing this account, he actually had in mind a story in the book of Exodus. Turn your Bibles with me for a while to Exodus chapter 33. Let me begin with verse 17. Look at verse 17 of Exodus chapter 33. Now, let me give us a context. This is a story between God and Moses, right? God and Moses. Here's what happens here. And the Lord told Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Alright, so God tells Moses, I'm going to give this to you because I know you by name. And here's what Moses said. Verse 18, look at this. Moses said, please, Lord, Lord, please show me your glory. Catch it? In other translation, it says, Lord, I beseech you. I beseech you, God, show me your glory. So he wanted, of all things that he could have requested from God, he wanted to see the glory of God. He wanted to see the glory of God. And here's what God says. And he said, I will make all my goodness. Look at this one. Read this with me. I will make all my goodness pass before you. Look at this one. And will proclaim before you my name. Isn't it? Right? Take note of those two words. Pass before you and proclaim what? My name. What is his name? The Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. What do we have here? Here's what's interesting. Mark uses that exact you know, original Hebrew that we have in Exodus and translated that to its Greek, and that's the very word that we have here in the book of Mark. All right, so when Mark starts writing, and Jesus meant to pass by them, it's actually the same thing that we have in Exodus that God passed before Moses. That's passing. There's another one. Another word is the word proclaim. Isn't it? Now, when we look at the word proclaim, what is his name? Accordingly, his name is the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. If it's capital L and then small letter O, R, D, it's Elohim. It's capital L. O, R, and D. If it's capital, it's called Yahweh. It's the very personal name of God. So, the Lord is Yahweh. And guess what? It is basically what? I am. It's translated as I am. So, what is the name of God? I am. Catch it? So, Jesus meant to pass by them. They were frightened. What does he tell them? Do not be afraid. 
It is I. It is I. In short, it is Yahweh. It is I am. That's why he was telling everyone that when Jesus does these things, he wanted to prove his divinity to them. Now the divine glory of God passed by them. Now here's another purpose that we have as to why Jesus walked on water. Jesus walked on water to come to us with his divinity. Alright, so look at this. To prove his divinity, to come near to us with his divinity. And I want you to understand that that is very important. Come to think of this. God comes to us in his full divine essence. Alright? I want to explain perhaps why this is important. Look. In Exodus chapter 33, God shows himself or passes before Moses. What's the reason for that? Go to Exodus chapter 33 verse 17. Because Moses received what? There's one word there. Favor. Isn't it? He received favor. The reason for that is this. Because Moses was an upright man. Moses was a God-honoring man. Moses was a righteous man. By virtue of Moses' own righteousness, God allows him to see his glory. Now, that's Moses. Let's go to the disciples. What does verse 52 say? I said a while ago, verse 52 of Mark chapter 6 says, Their hearts were hardened. Whoops. They do not understand about the loaves. So, let's now compare Moses and the disciples. Moses was a righteous man. Were the disciples righteous people? They were not. Isn't it? They were not. So, we're not here to say, God's going to show me His glory because I live a righteous life. No. If I look at the story of the disciples, this gives me comfort. Because I realize that even though their hearts were hardened, God draws nears to them. Are you folks with me? Let me give you a contemporary illustration of this. Even if they have not done their quiet time for the day, even if they have not followed through their January 1 resolution to really walk with God, to read the Bible every day, God still draws nears to them. That's what we have here. In the midst of the person lasting for someone, Jesus draws near to that person. In a time wherein we feel like we are spiritually lethargic. Jesus draws himself near to us. I want you to understand this. It is actually not you who's drawing yourself to Christ. It is Jesus drawing himself near to you. I look at this. It was in the what? It was in the darkest moment of their life that Jesus starts coming to them. Now look at this. In fact, Mark tells us that they thought Jesus was in a distant place. Was there ever a time in your life that you were in the middle of a troubling situation and you just felt like Jesus was absent. Anyone has encountered something like that? I've encountered those things. I feel like, Jesus, where are you? drama, drama Jesus, you don't understand the pain that I'm going through right now. The disciples were experiencing that. They felt like Jesus was absent. They felt like Jesus wasn't hearing their cries. Lord, we've been rowing here for six hours. We're exhausted. One year, you hate waiting. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus made them wait not for two hours. Jesus made them wait for six, seven hours. 
I mean, pumila nga lang sa Smart, sa Globe, Water District, Norego, parang pikun na pikun na tayo. Bilis ang uminit ang ulo natin. So, sa Norego, sa labas ka pa nakapila. And I realized, you know, sometimes I ask myself, why does Jesus make us wait? Why does Jesus make you wait? Do you folks realize if everything is given to you, if life is a bed of roses, you're not going to exhibit any amount of faith? I want to share this. Just this morning, you know, um, our building project, we're putting up a building, right? It's a multi-million peso building. Fundraising actually is losing steam. It's like, so, two days ago, I was calling some people in the church as part of the building team. I was telling them, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll have to wait for funds to come in. So here's what we're going to do next week. When the place gets energized, we'll stop the entire project. Why? Because of funding. We cannot fund it anymore. And we're like, all right, we have decided. But of course, you know, together with the decision, it's a prayerful stance that we're doing. Just today, this morning, our church received a 2.1 million check for the building project. I mean, we're about to stop it. We were having some presentation last, last Saturday, and there's like what? Like one, two, three. You know how Zoom feels like when there's a lot of people? And how it feels like when you're fundraising and there's like four people in the Zoom? You know what I'm talking about? So I was doing presentation, I was telling them about the building project, and I felt like, man, that was a terrible presentation. One of the baddest presentations that I've ever done, the entire course of this building project. You know, right after the Zoom presentation, we were able to get pledges of 1,970,000 pesos. So, we've invested, what, 26 million pesos for the building. Kanino galing yun? Ang point ko lang is, hindi po ibig sabihin may pera tayo, pero ang alam ko lang, nagpa-provide si Lord. So, minsan may drama lang ng konti, alam mo may Lord. Gusto ko sana na Lord, sana may pera na lang agad, tapos patayo na namin lahat. Pero yun nga, pagka ganun minsan, walang prayer. Pag ganun minsan, hindi natin inilulod yung situation. So sometimes, God, Jesus, makes us wait to elicit faith to rise in us. And that is what we have here. Jesus made them wait for what? Six hours. Imagine, they could have gone to a point where they were so angry with Jesus and already. Grabe si Jesus. Pachil children dito sa mountainside. Pakapikapira. Kami dili perting sa guwan namo. And Jesus actually shows up to them. My point here is this. I want you to understand this. If you get into a very difficult situation in your life, that could be illness, that could be what? Sickness, that could be relational, that could be academics, mental problems, that could be financial problems. I want you to understand this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So wag kayo magtatampo-tampo kay Jesus. You know, it's useless. Minsan, ang dami ng lies, magtatampo ka kay Lord, magagalit ka kay God. I want you to understand this. Yung suffering natin, dalawa lang yan. It's either consequential or providential. Minsan, nagsasuffer tayo kasi kagagawa natin. Minsan naman, just like this one, yung suffering natin, providential. Etong tanong ko, sino nagsabi sa kanila na pumunta sa gitna ng dagat, ng lake? Si Jesus. So imagine that, na inoobey mo si Lord, tapos nagkaganyan yung buhay mo. I thought if I obey Jesus, this is gonna happen, someone's gonna propose to me, and stuff like that. Hanggang ngayon, wala pa rin. Ready na ako sa matamis kong yes. Naghihintay na lang ako na may lumuhod. But anyway, my point is, imagine, look at Paul. When Paul obeyed his Macedonian call, it landed him where? In Shangri-La? It landed him in jail. So true enough, pag yung pastor po, ang pinipreach sa inyo, na pagka-Christian ka na, magkakapera ka, mananalo ka sa loto, magkakaganito ka, magkakakotse ka, hindi mo pastor yun. 
Malamang, miyembro ng Ponzi scheme yun. Alam nyo ba yun, ginagamit madalas ang simbahan para sa mga Ponzi scheme? So pag ako po may inalok sa inyo, alam nyo na. But the point here is, I want us to understand that in the course of following Christ, sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we suffer losses. You know, sometimes you realize, wait a second, when I started following Christ, I realized, where are my old friends? I've lost my friends. In fact, sometimes I lose my reputation. Sometimes I don't get the promotion by virtue of the fact that I am a Christian. These guys were simply obeying Christ and then it happened to them. But you know what's a bittersweet feeling here? It's the fact that Jesus was with them in the eye of the storm. I mean, imagine this. Imagine a life of prosperity without God. Compared to a life of adversity with Jesus. I'd rather have the latter one. Look at this. How did God reveal himself to Moses? God revealed himself to Moses this way. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. Look at that. What does it say? It simply says that, Lord, I beseech you, show me your glory. God tells Moses, here's what's going to happen, Moses. I'm going to pass before you, but I'm going to show you my back. Bakit po? Because it's very clear. No one sees the face of the Lord and leave. You're asking for something. Moses, you don't know what you're asking for. You're asking for the glory of God to be seen by you. No, you're just going to see my back. Because no one sees the Lord and leave. Now, look at this. Look at the contrast to that. Look at this. It says here to the disciples, what happens? For Moses, God covers him. For the disciples, look at this. They have seen the unmasked glory of God, but not just that. He gets in the boat with them. It's an interesting thing that we have here that Jesus wasn't just speaking from afar. He walked on water. You know what another thing that I like about this story? It says Jesus walked on water, but it didn't say that Jesus didn't get wet from the rain. Doesn't say that. What is my point? My point is this. It's not like Jesus walked on water simply to prove a point, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't getting wet by the waves and the rain and all of these things. My point is this. Jesus can sympathize with your problems. It's not like from afar, okay lang na, kaya pa ni mo na. It wasn't like that. Jesus gets to us, not just that. He gets in the boat with us. What do we have here? Look, what is the result? I want us to turn our Bibles to John chapter 6. You need to see this. Go to verse 41. It says here, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? What do we have here? Look, I want you to understand this. This is one unit of a story that has three junctions. And I want you to catch this. There's three junctions in the story. The first one is, Jesus feeds 12,000, 15,000 people, right? Guess what happened? When Jesus fed them, their tummy were full. Don't you think they were happy? What do you think? Sino sa inyo, pag busog kayo, masaya kayo, pero pag gutom kayo, mainitin ulo nyo. Tama, so pareho tayong lahat. So busog sila, masaya sila. Parang, Grabe talaga to, miracle worker talaga si Jesus. He's really a miracle worker. So that's the first junction. And then Jesus does something. Jesus tells his disciples, so get into the boat. I'll pray, get into the boat. Like what I said, set up yun. Alright, set up yun. So they got into the boat, Jesus left this crowd, 
guess what? The moment they arrived here, after this event, what was this event here? Jesus walking on water. After feeding the 5,000, Jesus walked on water. Now they got to the dry land. And guess what? That very same people over there made their way here. Catch it? So the same group of people there, the thousands of people there, they made their way here. And here's what they were saying. Jesus, you know what Moses? He gave us manna in the desert. What were they pertaining to? They were like, if you're telling us you're better than Moses, if he gave us manna in the desert, you fed us a few days ago, then you can feed us for all our life. So they're like asking for Jesus. Let's show us more. No? It was something like that. And what does Jesus tell them? You know what? I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread from heaven. You don't get it. You're just here for the food. You're just here for the miracle. You're just here for your own selfish gain. But what I offer to you is myself, Jesus says. I am the bread of heaven. I am the bread that comes from heaven. What does they say? Look at this. Here's what they said. They started grumbling because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And you know what happened? Thousands of people, they started one by one, walking away. Can't follow this man. Magic ra ng iya. Can't follow this man. You know what he does? Look at your Bible for a while. John chapter 6, verse 67 to 69. Here's what happens now. They started walking away. Now, here's what Jesus does. He goes to his disciples now. All right. Thousands of them are leaving. Here's his question. So, are you guys leaving me as well? Do you want to go away as well? Are you leaving me as well? Because you cannot have your feel? And look at the confession of Peter. Here's what Peter says. Simon Peter answered, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Wait a second. Prior to that, what made him confess that? Jesus walking on water. Because prior to that, his heart was hardened. Prior to that, they do not understand the loaves. But during that experience that Jesus reveals his divinity to them, he now says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Then he starts saying, look at this in verse 69, and we have believed, Lord. Now he starts confessing, we believe you now. We believe you now and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You're the Holy One of God. You're not just any of those prophets. From this time on, we will not leave you. We will back, we will follow you. We will give our life to you because we know that you are the Son of God. I want us to understand at the end of the day, our confession matters. Our confession matters. Who we have in our mind as to who Jesus is matters. The problem, I think, with many of us in the Christian world is we simply embrace a cultural Jesus, but we do not understand the biblical Jesus. What Jesus requires of us. And I'm talking to you folks who've been a Christian for what? For 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I hope and pray that you're not believing in vain. A proof of that is this. Are you having a depth in your intimacy with Christ? Not just head knowledge, but a heart that has been changed 
by the ruler of your destinies, the maker of heaven and earth, our Christ and Lord, Jesus Christ. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.